Well, it is uh, great to have those kids uh, back up here for the children's message. Aaron, thank you for uh, that special word on what the Holy Spirit is up to uh, here in our midst. With that, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you uh, travel two miles north on Grand and a mile west on Lindell, uh, you will arrive at the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. If you've ever uh, visited the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis, uh, then you probably know uh, that it is known for its awe-inspiring glass mosaics. They cover the ceilings and the walls and the floors of the Cathedral Basilica, and the best estimates uh, estimate that there are some 41 and a half million glass tiles in that building. And uh, among those mosaics uh, is a scene depicting the 12 apostles. And if, if you're worshiping in the cathedral basilica, uh, you'll find that scene in the north dome just above the main altar. And there, the 12 apostles form a ring around the dome as together they look down on a crucified figure of Jesus. You know, like uh, many other works of art, uh, when you look at this scene, you get the impression uh, that these men are very similar. So they're all wearing long, white, flowing robes. They're all extending uh, their right hand uh, in a sign of peace, and they're all holding either a, a book or a scroll, the Word of God, that they have learned for Je- from Jesus. Yet, uh, the truth of the matter is that these 12 men are incredibly different from one another. See, they're not the kind of people uh, that you would expect together. And and just to give you a few examples, if you look up at that mosaic, uh, you will see Peter and Andrew, James and John. Now, they're not standing next to each other uh, in the mosaic, uh, but we do meet them at roughly the same time in the Scriptures, and even more than that, uh, Jesus meets them in roughly the same place. He meets them right next to the Sea of Galilee. That's because uh, these men, these two sets of brothers, are fishermen, and they earn a living by catching fish in the Sea of Galilee. And one day, while Jesus is walking by, he looks at these four men, and he says, come, follow me. That brings you uh, to another man that you meet in this mosaic, and just like these four men, Jesus meets him right beside uh, the Sea of Galilee, but unlike these four men, he is not a fisherman. He's a tax collector. Some might say that that makes uh, him a, either a collaborator or, or a traitor because he works for the occupying Roman government, and uh, he earns a living by collecting taxes from them. He earns a living off the backs of his fellow countrymen, people like Peter and Andrew, James and John. You know, the Bible never tells us, it certainly makes you wonder, you know, did these four men know Matthew? Did these four men, did they ever pay taxes to Matthew? Did these four men, did their blood boil when Jesus, one day walking by, looks at him and says, Matthew, come follow me. Or here's another example. If you look up the mosaic, uh, you will see a man named Simon the Canaanian. 
And the word Canaanian is uh, really important here. Uh, the word Canaanian does not mean that Simon is a Canaanite. And the word Canaanian doesn't mean that Simon comes from the land of Cana. The word Canaanian uh, comes from an ancient Aramaic uh, word that means enthusiast or zealot. It tells us uh, that Simon belonged to a Jewish sect that actively opposed the Roman government. And depending on your perspective, that makes Simon the zealot, either a freedom fighter or a terrorist, not the kind of person that you would expect in the polite company of the other apostles, let alone a man named Matthew who works for the Roman government collecting taxes. And here's one final uh, example. If you look up at the mosaic, you will see the Apostle Paul. And he's the apostle who persecuted the earliest Christians. He stood by when Stephen, a follower of Jesus, was stoned to death. And yet, somehow, Paul and Simon and Matthew, Peter and Andrew, James and John, all of the apostles are standing together in a mosaic just above the front altar of the Cathedral Basilica. You see, if you're anything like me, uh, it makes you stop and take notice when you know these things uh, about the apostles. It makes you stop and take notice because this is not what we've come to expect. See, we've come to expect uh, that when people have a mark on their past, people like the Apostle Paul, uh, they're not going to get a second chance. We've come to expect uh, that people from different means, people who work white-collar jobs like Matthew, a tax collector, and and people who work blue-collar jobs, people like Peter and Andrew, James and John, we've come to expect that people like this might not spend time together. That's because people like this might not live next to each other. And maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not, but it's the sort of thing we've come to expect We've also come to expect uh, that people of different political stripes, people like Matthew who collects taxes for the Roman government, and and Simon, the zealot uh, who is actively opposed to the Roman government, we've come to expect uh, that they're not going to get along with each other. Because there are important, significant differences that you just can't look over. And yet, two miles north on Grand, and one mile west on Lindell, These 12 men stand together, and it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus who sends us his spirit to remind us that the unity we have isn't found in what we do or what we've done. He sends us the spirit to remind us uh, that the unity we have isn't found in where we live or what we own. He sends us his spirit to remind us that the unity we have isn't found in a certain kind of politics. Instead, The unity we have is found in Jesus. And differences like these, they don't get to divide us. You see, that's one of the things uh, that we celebrate on Pentecost every year. We celebrate uh, that in Christ, we are united. We are united through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are, are united because God is unwilling to let sin divide us, and and we are united because God sends us his spirit. That's the story uh, that we heard about this morning in Acts chapter 2, and 
And it's probably a familiar story to many of you. We hear it every year on Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Passover, and, and God's people have once again gathered together in Jerusalem for a pilgrimage festival. See, before Passover or Pentecost is a Christian holiday, it's, it's a Jewish holiday. It's, it's something that God's people have done every year for the past 1,400 years, ever since God brought these people out of Egypt. So they've celebrated these three pilgrimage festivals. Uh, they correspond uh, with the different harvests throughout the year, two in the spring, one in the fall, and they correspond with those harvests, wheat, barley, and olives, and they're pilgrimage festivals because they call all Jewish men to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to worship the Lord, to give thanks to him, to, to offer a sacrifice in the temple. That's why as the scene opens, uh, we learn that there are Jews in Jerusalem from every single nation under the sun. And I sort of like to picture what happens, uh, like what we see in Tower Grove Park every summer at the Festival of Nations. Because you've got people gathered together from everywhere. You can probably imagine this uh, creates a communication challenge, uh, but just like English serves as a common language today, uh, Greek, and, and to a lesser extent, Aramaic uh, serves as a common language back then. And so, you know, maybe you're from Rome, maybe you're from Egypt, maybe you're from somewhere else in North Africa, maybe you're from Persia. Uh, the good news is you're going to be able to talk with one another. That's why it reminds me of the, the Festival of Nations, because you've got all these people from all these different places, and, and while it might involve uh, some broken English, everyone's able to speak with each other, and, and yet that's what makes this scene so unusual. Because you've got people from all these different places, and yet they're able to speak to each other, uh, not because they all can speak broken Greek or broken Aramaic, but because God enables them to speak to one another in their own languages. And this leads to uh, some confusion and a few questions. It leads some people to conclude uh, that the people gathered there that day uh, must have had too much wine to drink. But it leads other people to ask a very faithful question. What does this mean? And so Peter stands up and he, he shares from the prophet Joel God's vision for all people. At this point, uh, I want to hit pause on this story, and I want to break away to, to two things that would have existed in the minds and the consciousness of uh, the people that were gathered there that day. See, the first thing that would exist in these people's minds is uh, an instruction, a blessing that God gives uh, at the very beginning of the Bible. You see, it's uh, the sixth day of creation. Uh, God has just formed humanity. He, he looks down on them, and he notices that everything is good. And so God blesses humanity and says, uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, it shouldn't be any surprise to us that we discover Jews in Jerusalem from every nation under the sun because this is what God wanted his people to do. He wanted them to become vibrant. He wanted them to become diverse. He wanted them to fill the earth. 
You see, that brings us uh, to the second thing that would have existed in the minds of these people as they gather in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. That's uh, the other story you heard this morning. It's the story from Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of Babel. You probably remember how that story goes, that, uh, that all the people after the flood, they wanted to be like God. So they built a city and, and a tower that stretched all the way up to the heavens. And, and you can just imagine them thinking, you know, if we can only get up there, then we won't need God. Maybe you also remember how that story goes, that, that God destroys their tower, he scatters these people, he confuses their language. But, but if you're anything like me, you might not remember the reason why these people built that tower in the first place. Come, they say, let us build a city and a tower so that we may make a name for ourselves. See, that's the pride. But then you learn why. Otherwise, these people say, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. See, before God scatters them, they're afraid that they're going to fill the earth. Behind their pride is, is this fear, and it's, it's a fear about God's blessing. If, if we're fruitful, if we multiply, if we fill the earth, what will that mean for us? Maybe it's a little bit of speculation, but I think they're afraid of what's going to happen. Uh, what happens if we become different from one another? Not different in our love of God, but different in the languages we speak. What happens if we become different in the kind of places we live? What comes, uh, happens if we become different in the kind of things that we find special? And, and maybe they're afraid of this because they know that differences can so often become divisions. See, of all the challenges uh, that we have faced this past year, I think it's this challenge uh, that we have faced the most the challenge of, of differences becoming divisions. The temptation we face is the same temptation that these people faced in Babel. It's the temptation to believe that, that our differences, our God-given differences, are something to be afraid of. And even more than that, it's the temptation to believe that, that those differences, uh, when they begin to form divisions, the solution, unity, is found in something we do. It's found in a, a tower that stretches all the way up to the heavens. That's what the, the people in Babel believed. Or it's found in politics, or it's found in science, or it's found in personal freedom. I mean, pick any hot-button issue. Pick a side, any side. It doesn't really matter. Because either way you go, you get the impression that the solution to our divisions, unity, is found in something we do. How about you, but I, I find it so easy to get wrapped up in this. I just think about the last year. I mean, a, a contentious presidential election, racial unrest, the pandemic, our kids, their education. It is so easy to get wrapped up in this. That's not to say that these things aren't important or that we shouldn't think about them, but it is to say that the temptation we face in situations like these is the temptation to believe that the solution to our divisions, the end to our divisions, unity, is found in something we do and not in something God has already done. 
You see, we know what God has already done. We know what he's already done because uh, we've seen it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, that's where the solution to our divisions is found. It's where the solution to our, our sin is found. And in Acts chapter 2, we get a glimpse of what that will look like. We get a glimpse of people. People from every nation under the sun gathered together. We get a glimpse of, of people, different people, different people who aren't divided. We get a glimpse of people who are united in Christ and animated by the Spirit. And so the people look around and they say, what does this mean? And Peter stands up and he tells all the people, this, this is a picture of God's vision for all people. Now, it was uh, several months ago, uh, the pastor at uh, Christ Memorial Lutheran Church reached out to me. See, we were uh, still several weeks away from Easter, and he was already thinking about Pentecost. He said to me, uh, what if a bunch of Lutherans, a bunch of Lutheran churches here in St. Louis, what if uh, a bunch of them got together? What if we uh, demonstrated the unity that we have in Christ through the Spirit? What if we, what if we prayed for each other? What if, we, uh, what if we learned about each other? What if, uh, what if we did these things for a few weeks starting on Pentecost? Well, flash forward uh, almost two months to today. What we have is uh, 10 churches, uh, 10 churches here in St. Louis, 10 churches of different sizes, 10 churches uh, in different locations, 10 churches uh, that are known for different ministries, uh, 10 churches that are made up of almost 8,000 Christians. And for a few weeks now, at the beginning of Pentecost, uh, we are going to celebrate the unity that we have in Christ together through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to learn about each other for a few minutes each Sunday. And we're going to do that uh, during the offering, and, uh, and they're going to learn about us. We're going to pray for each other. Uh, the names of these 10 churches are, are listed uh, in your bulletins under the prayers section, and we're going to pray for them here in church, and I invite for you uh, to be praying for them at home. And then what we're going to do is we're going to remember that the body of Christ is big. Uh, the body of Christ is beautiful, and the body of Christ is diverse. And it's made that way, not by something we do, but by something that God has already done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.